Good morning. Bow your, bow your hearts with me in prayer, please. God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, draw near now, amen. When Rodney and I got married, our first apartment was a two-bedroom railroad apartment in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. It was a cute and cozy love nest with character, charm, and good bones, with only one problem, extremely limited closet space. What passed for storage in said apartment were two built-in what you might loosely call cupboards, each fitted with a bar for hanging items, and a small drawer underneath. I remember the simplicity of that apartment fondly. With limited storage, we were forced to keep clutter at bay. Clutter controlled meant less time cleaning, less time worrying. We had less laundry and spent less time having to organize what more often than not presented itself if we weren't careful as a hot mess. This was a typical modest pre-war apartment. People back then, my landlord reminded me, didn't have and live with such excess. My options for seasonal wear, multiple coats and jackets, many pairs of shoes and boots were unheard of for a woman of my means at that time. An apartment of that size needed no more than what it had, two small loosely called cupboards. And it worked for us for about two minutes. What would we do with all our stuff? In my mind, we needed space to hold the stuff we would have in the full life I imagine we'd someday have. So right up front, you'll notice that things we didn't even have yet we're already causing undue stress because I'm planning into the future the things I'm going to have and I'm worrying about how I'm going to organize them. They're causing undue stress and they took up space in our hearts and minds that could have been best served elsewhere. With scarcity as our framework, a very common and human feeling, the acclimation, the accumulation of things helped us tell the story of our success. And over time, we amassed our fortune, filling every nook and cranny of that apartment with stuff. Whatever we might have been at that time, we were certainly a young couple already swimming in the American westernized pool of bigger, better, more. We quickly got to work creating additional space boxes for under the bed, bins, and even our own personalized version of an armoire that we built into the wall. We needed space for dishes we wouldn't use, storage for the extra sheets and sets of towels that were on sale when we passed by in the store and we didn't need them, but we bought them. Clothing for any and every occasion, options, we wanted options and told ourselves we needed this stuff. What we had kept growing. We earned more, spent more, had more. In the Afro-Minimalist Guide to Living with Less, author Christine Platt cites a sobering statistic. The average American household 
has more than 300,000 items in it, with each home having fewer than three individuals occupying that space. We, all of us, most of us, have more than we need. So the thesis of her book, Less is Liberation, rings true, and I think Jesus would agree. Jesus warns the young man in today's text and us as hearers of this passage that all this stuff, the stuff I wanted and told myself I needed, can be a distraction. It is a burden that can fuse to our identity, puff us up in a way that heightens our sense of self-importance, and in the weirdest twist of all can make us feel small when we don't, or even worse, can't find or have more. Without this perspective shift, all this stuff can make us lose sight of what is most important. Forget our priorities, lead to bad decisions, cause undue grief and anxiety. Scroll through any timeline on social media to see where our treasure is placed. Living one's best life means the accumulation of things and experiences or the striving toward the acquisition thereof. How does one live one's best life without all the things? And yet a discerning heart knows there is always a deeper story to tell and that possessions come with something beyond a monetary price. Even for someone like my husband and I, the stuff and things taxed our emotions. The rich young man in today's gospel is curious. He's following the rules as he knows them, but he wants more. He's unsatisfied and comes to Jesus with a question. How do I align myself with this new thing, this kingdom sense of values that is literally turning the world upside down? A results-oriented rule follower, he asks, good teacher, what must I do to participate in the dream of a transformed world? Not one in the by and by, but in the here and now. Good teacher, what must I do to align myself with the gift of eternal life? Good teacher, twice in this text, Jesus knocks down the idea that he can help anyone do anything besides love them. The heavy lifting, he believes, is the work of God and seems to say so repeatedly. Follow me, he says, but only as I follow God. And eternal life? If that's what you're looking for, it's a gift from God. You couldn't earn it if you tried. And further, if we consider that same concept, if we can see eternal life as a present possibility, well, Jesus has a suggestion for him and suggestions for us. Jesus specializes in love and that's what's on display here. He looks not away but toward, Flaws and all, this man is loved, seen, and clearly, deeply known. Jesus speaks into the heart and soul of a young man who wants to know more. You lack one thing. 
Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. If he really wants to know and isn't just asking, this response, this call to a deeper sense of consciousness and commitment is a gift, a clear directive on what to do in order to align himself with the impending shift in the world as they know it. This is a call to a level of freedom he's not known. Surrender? Follow? God will do the rest? What? It's all too much. He leaves the scene unfulfilled, burdened by his possessions, unable to consider that less could be more. He can't let go. This new world of hoped for justice is all well and good until we're called to play a part in it personally. What happens when the onus is on us to help balance the scales? If we're honest, most of us complain. As with the young man, this kind of personal surrender is hard. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus warns that wealth, what could absolutely and is often put to good use, can also be an impediment to the kingdom of God. We can manipulate the texts as much as we want to soften this blow, but we have to hear the call to a sense of discipleship that is costly and have to consider what such a directive might look like in our own lives. What is your one thing? Jesus says, surrender it all, let it go. I hear it like this. Unburden yourself, declutter your life. Then after you do that, come and follow me. Join me in the work of love, rest knowing my gaze is upon you. And with all that you've got, turn your eyes to another. Give, serve, be part of this shift, this new life on earth. Hear me, young friend, when I tell you that you in fact can't do it alone. God, only God can help you. So accept the invitation, come follow, give it your best shot and trust that God will do the rest. We're trying to change the world here the world we experience in the here and now. And when what we're talking about is liberation from bondage, setting the captives free, a life of righteousness and freedom from corruption, tell me, dear young man, how will you keep up burdened with so much stuff? Jesus is gathering the final team for the showdown in Jerusalem, so his advice is to pack light. Align yourself with the force that opposes oppression, promotes liberty, and thrives on justice. Get on board with the mission because the world as you know it is changing. It's exciting to me to think that we live in such a time. Stirring in the wind is a still small voice, one that once heard that whisper turned roar. It can't be denied. I'm sure many of you have heard it. You can't not hear it and you can't not respond to it. 
This power is greater than any evil, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like. This power wins. We, you and I, can be part of the force that relentlessly seeks to empower God's plan for good in the world. That power is real and true, and the small and mighty acts we enable each day contribute to God's dream of liberation for all. And since money is power, and our witness and words can be the gold we possess, we can use our influence for good everywhere. We can not only fund the mission, but turn over the documents. Not only feed and house the hungry and homeless, but tell the truth. We can sell and give, and we can vote. When it's all said and done, Jesus doesn't really care about the stuff. Jesus cares about the stuff as it affects us, our self-identity, our attachment to a false sense of comfort and security. Jesus cares about our heart and emotions. Jesus wants us to let go of anything that hinders our full, poten our full potential and participation in the dream of God. Jesus wants a heart open and free to receive his gift of love. So let it all go and pay it forward. Be free. 25 years and a gaggle of children later, Rodney and I have filled all those bins and then some. We outgrew that apartment. I wish I could say that we'd mastered this less is liberation thing. We haven't. We're better at some things, downright stagnant with others, but God is working. We know the satisfaction of letting go of a meaningful decluttering session and that we possess so much more than money could ever buy. Still, our things, all that stuff, costs us, and we have spent a considerable amount of our life together managing them. Searching for positive energy and good vibes in our home, we dabbled in the Chinese art of feng shui, and of late have had multiple conversations with Marie Kondo about all those things that bring us absolutely no joy. We've explored the concept of minimalism as a cure for our ever accumulating stuff, but still know ourselves to be participants in this endless cycle of overconsumption, one deeply rooted in that feeling of scarcity. Say it with me, friends. I have more than I need. I have more than I need. We know less is liberation, but we're still working on it. We're still learning and are so grateful that Jesus looks on us with love's, love as we continue this work of surrender. As it is with my dear husband and I, I just don't believe God's work in the young man, God's work in and through him is finished. I'll end by offering today's teaching as a meditation and invite you to find a comfortable seat if you haven't already, maybe close your eyes, quiet your body, check in with your breath as you consider the question, what is your one thing?
What is the one thing holding you back from a deeper commitment and consciousness to the work of love and, and liberation in and around you? What is your one thing? See yourself running in full expectation of receiving an answer. Teacher, what must I do to participate in this movement? What must I do to live with authenticity into this new life? What must I do to participate in the dream of a transformed world? Breathe and feel his gaze upon you as his eyes burn on you with love. Receive Jesus's gaze upon you as his beloved woman, man, human, created of God, child. Giving it all away means letting go of the things and possessions that have a way of marking our identity, marking our identity in ways that create friction with our original marking as beloved and belonging to God. So turn your eyes and heart toward him and hear him when he answers, hear him speak, listen, pay attention. Less is liberation. Be free. Amen.